You know, every time I play that theme music, I say, okay, I'm going to get back on track and be out at least once every couple of weeks with a new episode. And then things happen and times, time goes by. And But we're still here. Unwired is still here. And this time we have a guest. We're going to talk about two-factor. What is the whole thing behind two-factor? So I've brought in the security expert, Andrew, and we're going to talk about two-factor. I'm going to give the cons. Andrew's going to give the pros. Let's discuss this. Uh, welcome on board with Unwired, Andrew. Thank you, Robert. Greetings to everyone. So, 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 so here's the thing. Two-factor. Let's, let's give a little history, not, not really about two-factor itself, but um, I remember hearing a while ago that traditional password technology is dead. You know, your regular password, we started out with simple passwords. Then we, you know, uh, then we evolved into, hey, let's do multiple characters. Let's do uppercase, lowercase, and numbers. Then it was uppercase, lowercase, special characters, and numbers. Then it became, let's have our passwords as long as possible, 12, 14, 26, 32 digits, and password managers. Why, why is that not working anymore? Why is, let, me, well, let, me, let me rephrase the question. Why is that not good enough yeah. anymore? Well, the computing power available to crack them is tremendous. When we first started doing this, when I first started paying attention to the risk of password cracking round about the late 90s, um, an eight-character password was, the, was right at that point. It was, you know, you could crack that in a day. You could, you got to 10 characters. It would take you, you know, a, a month if you had special characters mixed in there. Um, 12 characters and people were like, oh, yeah, it's going to, you know, it, it will outlast the time where you'd have to rotate it. Um, but we're at a place today based on a couple of different techniques and raw computing power where you can, um, password cracking is measured in the billions of passwords cracked per second. No, no. So, and, Go ahead. So tiny, tiny passwords can be put into what they call rainbow tables basically a pre-fabricated address book. And uh, that stuff is done. You, there's no safety in small passwords. Well, now, if, if the person trying to get in has no idea what, how many characters you're using, let's say now, <laughs> I'll, I'll get to this, that funny part later, but let's say I have a 15-character password. And they don't know I have a 15-character mm -hmm. password. You can't just throw a whole rainbow table at it. Won't these passwords, won't these devices time out? Or won't they, um, uh, if you're not putting in the right number of characters, won't it just fail? How will they even know that they need 15, 16, 12? How will they know how many characters they need? So password hacking has changed over time, right? Before most password attacks were brute force. 
basically you aimed at the place where the password was stored and you just hit it, hit it, hit it, hit it until you can get through. And that's easy enough to block if you start to throttle it. If you say, hey, if you get X number wrong in X amount of time, then it gets locked out and this and that, the other, right? So those kinds of those kinds of uh, mitigations came into play and eased up on the brute force attack. But if a person breaks into an environment, think about all the breaches you hear, where one of the key things they do is download the password database, whether it's in a um, you know a Microsoft SQL or a MySQL database, or it's part of some sort of a system like Active Directory. They'll download the database to, to attack it offline. And then when they get those passwords offline, because so many people use the same passwords in multiple places, they will then do password spraying at other sites, right? Because instead of them trying to figure out a bunch of passwords there, they will assume that you're using the same password they already downloaded in database A on sites B, C, and D. Mm. So, I just did a quick calculation. Let's assume mm -hmm. you're only using letters and numbers. And let's assume mm -hmm. then that you're only using lowercase letters and numbers. Which would mean mm -hmm. in a 15-character subset, you're doing 15 to the 36th power. Am I doing that correctly? That's not correct. If you, if you count letters and numbers, yeah. Only, yeah, no, no. Only uppercase. Or only lowercase. Because if you were to do uppercase and lowercase, that becomes yeah, 72 plus 10 right mm -hmm. um yeah i said 72 52 plus 52 10, plus 10. Mm -hmm. so that's 62 combinations per mm -hmm. digit that means mm -hmm. at 15 that would be 15 to the 62nd power okay and yet that can be cracked within a month oh much less than a month because for for um for any password below, for any password below, I would say now people are probably doing 14 character and, and 16 character passwords in rainbow tables. A rainbow table is, like I said, a, a list of all of the potential passwords and the hash generated from them, right? Because that's all you need to know, that I can match that up. And you just have to store all of that data, right? So as storage capability increases and as computing power increases, the ability to store rainbow tables that are pre-calculated increases. That's one. Two, if you, the same thing, the same technology that's used to do crypto mining is the same one that's used to do crypto breaking, right? Password hacking. So you put together a little farm with, three or four GPUs. I know they've been expensive for a while, but if people were mining, they would have th that technology. And, and a lot of the people who are doing this stuff have been doing it before the mining um, stuff took over. And you, you run, um, you break hashes at, like I said, billions per. So think about the number when you multiply that to the, to, you know, 15 to the, um, to whatever power that you do there. And then, how many billions is that? <laughs> uh, okay. Not, it, no, go on. Yeah, if it's, if it's 50 billion and I have a password cracker that can do 3 billion a second, guess what? That's, that's the number of seconds it's going to take me to, 
to take out that password list for that small set of characters. So for 14th to the 62nd power, I have 1.147 with 71 Mm -hmm. places. So I don't Mm -hmm. even know what that calculation is. Um, So... So that's sort of the the onset, and I, I I laughed earlier when I was mentioning passwords because you said mm-hmm. rotating. Uh, why yep. did rotating passwords fail? And now this is not a technical answer, but why did the rotation of passwords fail? You know, when we used to do every thirty days, you have to rotate. In fact, I I still have a bank that right. has me change my password every thirty days. And of course, there's rules yeah, around that. Right to do that. Yeah, there's rules mm-hmm. around that. You can't use an old one that you used. You can't just add one digit to it and it'd be the same. So why did that rotation mm-hmm. scheme fail? Uh, it's not that the scheme failed. It's that it became pointless. Again, when pa- when a regular password that most people would use, if you said, hey, you got to do a 10 character, hey, you got to do a 12 character. When you could do a password like that, and the ability of someone to break it required them to brute force it from a distance. And the amount of time it would take them to brute force it was longer than the rotation time, right? If you have a password and the average time to break it is um, is six months and your organization has uh, you rotating your passwords every 90 days, then that's fine because the likelihood is that by the time they get around to cracking it, it's not your current password anymore. It's a different password, right? So that made sense. But once we move into the realm of billions, if I can can crack your password in 20 days on average, then you having a 30-day rotation is pointless. Okay. Right? I'm going to get in all the time. And and you can't make the rotation if, if you want... If you want to make a scenario where people are completely annoyed, tell them to rotate their passwords every 15 days. Well, that was my answer. A lot of a lot of the failure came in when people didn't really change it. You know, they would just add a digit on the end, or they would um, they would write it down somewhere where it's so easily accessible, or they would they would get so lazy with it. It's something that's memorable or easy to figure out in the person's life. So that became a, a human issue rather than a technological issue. So now True. let's go into uh, the pros and cons of two-factor. I'm not a big fan of two-factor, where you usually are a proponent of two-factor. So give us a mm-hmm. quick description of how two-factor normally works. The, the basic idea of two-factor is that normally – your password is an account name, what we call um, a username or an account name, and a password. That combination is typically called a credential. It is the both, both parts of those are called a credential. So those are two things that you know. And many services and sites are leveraging your email address. So it's something that is well-known by many people. Okay, so you have your name and you have your password. That's something you know. But things you know could be known by others. So what happens is you add an additional factor that's something that you have so something you know and something you have many people can know it but if they don't have this other thing then their ability to combine those together to get into um into the system to log on to the system is diminished right it's reduced 
And originally you have companies like RSA and some of these guys that will give you the little key fobs. Um, the, and that was, you know, you carried some extra thing. But many people misplaced that thing. There was a cost to, to get that thing deployed, et cetera, and so on. And so as we've become more digital and as, as smartphones have become more prevalent, folks have tied it to apps on, on your device since 90% of the people are going to carry their device with them all the time. Yeah, and and by moving it to the device, I remember when I had it on apps, there's a couple of different companies that I'm familiar with, uh, Duo being one of the um, larger of the companies, but there's quite a few others. Uh, the problem, one of the problems comes in, there's Duolingo, there's, there's Duo for, you know, there's a couple of different companies, a couple of different apps called Duo, but this was for security. And how Duo it worked, security. yeah, how it worked was you would put in an authentication, as you mentioned, the authentication is tied to your phone number. You, so you have the app, it's tied to your phone number, and then you associate your account with that app. And so right. once someone... Once you go to enter, let's say, your bank website, it would say, okay, now we need to authenticate through that app. It would send a PIN, and then you would have to get to your phone, see what that PIN is, put it back in. Now, a mm -hmm. lot of companies have bypassed the apps, and they're just sending text messages to your phone. I have a huge problem with that. But well, text is seen as very is, is unsafe. Um, because there are SIM swapping, there are a lot of avenues to attack text. Right. Right. So SMS was used because it was prevalent. Right. Right. You could use it with someone not having a smartphone. They mm -hmm. could use any regular phone. They could use it even if they left their phone home somewhere. For instance, if you're using your Google Voice number, you can get Google Voice messages from your computer even if your phone isn't present. So SMS was used because of convenience, but SMS is easy to hack and as a result um it it is a deprecated form most there's still a lot of companies that use it there's still a lot of financial institutions a tremendous use it, amount but it's recommended not to yeah my you know the different credit card companies they use it the the different mm -hmm. um banks they use it uh, i remember an instance with my insurance company i installed the app and i went to use it and it asked me, uh, I went to log in, I used my username and password, and it said, okay, what's your two-factor PIN? And I'm like, well, I haven't set anything up yet. How could you ask me? I don't know where you're sending it. And it became just this circular uh, problem where I couldn't get into the app to set it up because it was trying to send me a PIN that wasn't set up. And I, I eventually, eventually had to call the company and get them to give me the PIN, which sort of breaks all sorts of things they they well they didn't give me the pin actually they turned off the feature long enough for me to get in there and do it and they used all sorts of other things to um to identify me to to me it's almost right. like when the companies ask for the last four of your social if everyone's asking for the last four that means they've just weakened the ability for that to be a secure thing because if you can get the last well, four well, if you can pull the last four from, from, from something, from either a piece of paper or something else, and that's all they're verifying, you got nine digits to begin with. Why are you just asking for the last four, you know? Well, Actually, because, it's 11 because 
the reason that they don't ask for all of them is because um, you can do more identity tests with the whole batch than with just the last four. But, but can again, you? the reason why... If, if yeah, all the companies are asking for the last four, and I, identity theft... They only ask for the last four to verify you if you already have a relationship with them. You need yes. the whole number when you're starting relationships. Right. But with the idea of once you get the last four and you get into certain places, they would have that information. I'm just saying with them dumbing it down to the last four, they've made it easier for you to get into the other accounts that have access to all of that. Um, yeah, I guess. But the, but the reason the Social Security number is not good is because it's another thing you know and not something you have, right? If you just add four more things you know, it, it, doesn't, it means other people can know them too. That's why keep back to work at all. It's because it's something you have. Many people can know things, but only one of those people is going to have the thing that's necessary at a given time. Yeah, and then that leads me back to my issue with the two-factor. Now, I know you've stated that you're really not supposed to use SMS, but the truth is with mm -hmm. so many people using SMS, um, to me it's as if they've put the onus on the phone holder, the, phone the, the person with the phone, the onus is once mm -hmm. again on them. Now, now, to be fair, with passwords, the onus is still on you for you to secure your passwords and to make it something more difficult. But in, right. in setting up two-factor, it leads to mm -hmm. a tremendous amount of problems if you don't have your phone at the time. There have been times where I've gone places and forgotten my phone, just a phone. And mm -hmm. now it's almost like mm -hmm. your, your, your card or um, your... Uh, whatever you do have on you becomes meaningless. Mm -hmm. um, I just went through an experience recently where I tried to contact us. Funny, it's the same insurance company. The insurance company to do a claim. Now, I'm out in the street. I'm, it's late at night. I did mm -hmm. not have, you know, I'm driving, but I wanted to get the claim in as soon as possible. So they, I call in. I'm giving all my information, and they're asking, they say, okay, we're going to send you um, uh, a text message to verify you. And I'm like, but I'm mm -hmm. driving. I can't really stop and get this text. This is a place that's out in the middle of nowhere. I can't really stop to get a text message. That wouldn't be safe. So I asked for another way. Is there any information I can give you? After all, I am the account holder. I know all the information contained in there. You've already verified my username, my password, my PIN over the phone, and my address. Why do you need to send me now another message? If it was someone faking me, would it be the mm -hmm. phone that would differentiate me between someone else? Would that be the last line yes. if I had all the other information? Yes. According the phone to who? Is the thing you have it, because it's a physical thing. That the, the reason two factor works is because it adds something you have, right? If all those other things can be known, but they can be known by multiple people simultaneously. And and so they don't differentiate the legitimate person from the illegitimate person. They just they just differentiate knowledgeable people from non-knowledgeable people. The phone or or whatever the token is, the soft token or hard token, the token is the thing that says only one person can be bearing this token at a time. Therefore, that is the element that says 
this person is legitimate because they're holding the token and the other person is not legitimate because they're not holding the token. Yeah, but you see, my concern with that is now me as the actual account holder, I couldn't access my account. Mm -hmm. That's true. That's true. But the long-term harm from that for the duration of time that it existed was less than the wrong person having access to the account. Yeah, but I would argue that you haven't really stopped the wrong person from accessing it. I mean, if if that is a huge deterrent, let's see. Have you really mm -hmm. stopped the wrong person? If the wrong person had all that other information, I mean everything, mm -hmm. PIN number, phone number, yes. um, address, mm -hmm. social security number, account number, everything else, but not the yes. phone? If you had all that other stuff, mm -hmm. wouldn't you be able to get into, I mean, cracking the SIM, well, that would be you, the barrier? Were you were you able to get in with, with all the other info and not able to take the, the call to do the verification? Only, I mean, because, only because I gave up. That's it. I decided it wasn't worth but, my time. Correct. And that's, that's exactly what we want from a security measure, that it that it reduces the viability of that approach to an attacker, where they decide to move on and do something simpler and not spend all month getting into this, this system that they don't have sufficient access to. That's the whole point. That's the deterrent. It's not to turn you into Fort Knox. It's to reduce the scope of risk such that the person moves on and does something different and does not continue to pursue you. All right. Well, I think that's a good place to end. Um, we're not here to really make a determination. I still have <laughs> my, I still have my doubts about how powerful <laughs> two-factor is, but I use it, um, and I use it sometimes to my detriment, but I still use it. So <sighs> there is that. Listen, thank you guys for listening. Um, we're going to have more conversations like this on many different topics. Um, we're glad to be back. Thank you, Andrew. You're welcome. You're welcome. And uh, we, we hope to talk about some more things coming up soon. Ooh, PTZ versus stand-up cameras in your church. Why don't you tune in for that?